Ever wonder what motivates people to get plastic surgery? Did they regret it? What can we learn from the stories of plastic surgery patients? We're here to explore those questions and get some answers today with my guest, Paris Hall, on the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. my friends welcome back and thanks to our listeners for the amazing feedback we have had so much fun so far and look forward to more of your insights and suggestions please rate us and review us on apple podcast to help us get you more content on the plastic surgeon podcast we listen to real plastic surgery stories of triumph and pain from real patients and providers to further understand their motivations or why they would risk their life under the knife I'm Dr. Javad Sajin, and today my guest is the wonderful, fabulous, amazing Paris Hall. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Paris. We are here to talk to you about your journey, how we came to know each other, the procedure you underwent, and how it affected you. Yeah. So, Paris, what procedure did you undergo? So, I had a couple of procedures. Mm-hmm. I had the BBL with 360 lipo, mm-hmm. and I also had um, the tummy tuck. And how long ago was that? I had it back in September, so it's been about six months now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as we go into that, tell us, where are you from? So I'm from Houston. Mm-hmm. I moved to Portland in December 2017. Um, so I'm an Oregonian now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm really a girl from Texas in my heart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that must be a big contrast from Houston to Oregon. Yeah, it's different, but... I appreciate their differences, so, yeah, you know, yeah. And your parents, were they from Houston? So my mother is from New Orleans, mm-hmm. and my father's from California. I see. And mm-hmm. how did you end up in Houston in the middle of that? College. Ah, I yeah. see. I so see. I moved for, well, my dad moved for work, and mm-hmm. then I moved with him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was still a minor, so I had to move with my father. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up going to college out there. And did you grow up mostly with your dad? Yeah, I did. I, well, it was both my parents, but my dad was the one who was employed. So oh. he got a job in Houston, and I moved with him. Got it. Got yeah, it. yeah. And was your mom with you in Houston? Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess. So they were they were together. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, yeah, no, they no. were both together still. But I say with him because it, the move was motivated by him. Okay, what did he do? He was a medical biller. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, he did that at home most of the time, but it was nice. And did you have siblings? I have one. She's a teenager, actually. So we have quite an age gap. Yeah. My mom had her later in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you close with her? Yes. That's cool. I love her. Is she in Houston right now? No, she's at my house in Oregon. Really? Yeah. Wow. What made (laughs) that happen? So my mother, my sister, and I, we all lived together. We were living together while my dad was still living. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad got sick with cancer, and Mm -hmm. so he ended up passing away. So we all decided to stay together. That would be what's best for my mom. Yeah, no, it's it's totally a part of life. What kind of cancer was it? He had small cell lung cancer. Mm, That's tough. It's aggressive. It's very... It's very aggressive. It's very hard to treat. Um, But he... The end of it was beautiful, and I got to take care of my dad, which is what I always wanted to do. Um, So that was really special that I was able to give him that before our time here ended together. Yeah. How old old was he when that happened? 58. Wow. Yeah, so he was a young guy still. For Mm. I mean, to pass away is still pretty young. 
Um, but we made it through. And yeah. So now my mom and my sister and I, we all stay together. That's nice. Yeah. It's it, really special. It is. It is. And you all get along pretty well? I mean, come on. We're, <laughs> <laughs> We're girls. So it's, you know, the guy who was the mediator between the three is gone. Yeah. So now we're having to learn how to communicate without him. Um, so it's lots of hormones in the house frequently. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we make it through. Yeah. We're good. We go to the nail salon and, you know, everything's fine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I've heard that we before. make up. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And you went to college in Houston? I did. And what was your degree in? Uh, drafting and design. So mm. I was more so in engineering. Uh, but when my dad got sick, I mm -hmm. totally abandoned engineering. And now I'm actively pursuing uh, healthcare. So I'm pursuing my degree in nursing because I want to be a nurse practitioner. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Engineering just wasn't enough for me anymore. Mm, I see. Um, Making money wasn't enough. I needed to make a difference. That's awesome. You pursued your initial degree in design? Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. And and so is that an engineering or engineering was a separate degree? So it's like a engineering subset. So basically the way that nurses work with doctors, I work with engineers. They tell me what they want. I create it or do the design for it. And then oh. they stamp it and then it gets produced. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you did that. And after Houston, did you go straight to Oregon for your job? Yes. So Intel moved me out to Portland. And so I was working with them for a couple of years. And then my dad got sick and then I left. Mm -hmm. And what did you do for Intel? I was working in manufacturing, uh, manufacturing the microprocessors. Just, uh, I don't, it's a, it's a big, long title. Oh, got, it. Yeah. got it, got it, got it. <laughs> not interesting but manufacturing microprocessors is where we're gonna leave it at yeah. got it <laughs> and that happened for two years and your dad yes. got sick and you went back to houston for that no we stayed here uh -huh. um i took care of him mm -hmm. and then after he passed away um it kind of changed me mm. uh changed my goals i watching my dad go through those changes it made me realize that there's more to life than just making a lot of money I want my time here to be meaningful. I want to impact others. Um, and I want my job to be something that supports that. Um, mm. So that's when I left to, like, I totally abandoned it and went straight to healthcare. Mm. So, yeah. you, so you, you felt your goals were more monetary because you wanted to get out and make it on your own and mm -hmm. make it yourself. Mm -hmm. mm. Have nice, I'm like my goals at the time when I was working in, with Intel and in engineering, it was just to make as much money as I possibly can, to have as many things as I possibly can. I wanted to be, you know, that 20-something that we see now who mm -hmm. has a lot of things and, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of money. And, you know, that was my goal at the time. Um, and to support my parents. And that's still a goal, to support my mother. But I want my life to mean more than just having a lot of things mm -hmm. now or, or to have a lot of money stacked up. That's just not... Um, important to me because that's not going to mean anything when I'm no longer here. Mm, yeah. yeah. I don't think many people would really understand that the way you do. Yeah. it. Unfortunately for me, it took something very dramatic to kind of wake me up to that. Mm -hmm. But I feel now that I'm living a more purpose-driven life and I'm very satisfied and fulfilled, even though it came with a pay cut. Um, I'm very happy with mm -hmm. making a difference every day. And That's with, amazing. With being nice to people. And, and what if I'm the only nice person they saw, you know? Mm -hmm. I just really think that's really special. And so I, 
I really take great joy in that. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons, Paris, I love doing surgery. Overall, one of my life purposes has always been impacting people. Yeah. Right. And I, and that one of the reasons I really love doing cases, right, and nice people like yourself and others is I get to change their life. Yeah. You know, it's three to four hours of work for me on that table, but it's a lifetime of change for somebody else. Absolutely. And and I personally couldn't think of any other way on how I could impact others than doing what I do. Right. right? Right. So I really, I really understand that and connect to it. Yeah. And when I um, came to Seattle to uh, finish my training, I could have gone. My family does really well in Wisconsin. I could have gone there and helped manage the family business and done probably three to four times better than what I do here. Right. But for me, I didn't see purpose in it. Yeah. Right. What was the point of just doing that? Working nine to five, mm-hmm. make good money. Where is that? What's that going to get me? Right. So right. true. A couple so zeros, true. extra zeros doesn't change anything. Right. Right. So true. I wanted to meet people, change people positively. Yeah. And then be there for their journey. Right. And that's yeah. one of the reasons I did the podcast. I wanted to share those right. stories with others to impact people. Right. I think a lot of people don't understand the value that you feel and fulfillment you can feel when you impact someone. Right. What do you think about that? I think, I just think it's really special and really powerful Um, there's so much division in our world now. And I think that when you impact someone in a positive way, it can be really special and it can, it can show you that we all are connected in one way or another. Um, somebody might not share my journey or even your journey, but we're all human being. And I feel like it's just really meaningful to your journey individually when you're, when you're positive to someone else. You know what I think about sometimes, and I want to hear what you think. I ask myself, why do I like impacting people? And I, and I don't I don't know if I have a good answer for that. What's your? Do you have an answer for that? The only answer I can come up with, and I've asked myself that too. I was like, because I'm really careful about being like a negative energy, and so I'm like, is this like a secret negative about me that because I want to be this special person to other people? And so I really examined it, and I don't. The only thing that I can come up with is that I just, it's just in me. I want to be positive to others. I want to make a difference. I want my life here to have meaning. Um, We're only here for a very small time, if we think about the time of the universe. And I want that time that I am here to mean something to someone else uh, as as sort of a monument, like Mm -hmm. as sort of a the only thing that's going to live on after I'm gone. Like your legacy. You yeah. Mm. Yeah. That, that's the only thing I could come up with, though. Yeah, people talk about living forever. I think one yeah. of the ways you can live forever yeah. is by having others live with your impact. Right. 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 Exactly. Like, uh, And I think where I got that from is I did not know how special my dad was to so many people until he passed away. Like I never went through like my dad's phone or through his conversations with other people, but all of the people who were texting him and all of the people whose lives he touched and all the people who remembered him and were really saddened um, by losing him because he was so special to them. Like it, it just really spoke to me and, and showed me that there's so much more, um, to our experience as being human than just gain while we're here. Um, so, yeah. I really believe that too. Yeah. And so you, after you took care of your dad, 
Mm. Or I guess, how were you supporting yourself when you were taking care of it? Savings. Mm. Yeah, I had a, I, I made a decision that all of the time that I had left with my dad was going to be spent with my dad. I was not going to work. I was not doing anything else. I didn't care if I had to scale back on how I was living. I just wanted to spend that time with him. Um, and so I used my savings. I was living heavily off of savings. Mm. Yeah. And after that time went um, finished, did you go back to the workforce? I did, but not right away. Um, after the time with my dad, actually after his passing away, about a month or two later is when I had my surgery with you. Oh, and then okay. I took more time off. Um, to still heal and recover because I couldn't be my best self for my patients and for other people if I was not whole on the inside. Mm. So I took about, what, six months off from just working and just to not only recover from surgery, but from the losing of my father, who was very important to me. Mm. So, yeah. when, when you, so after you, you went through that, you decided, what made you think that you wanted surgery? I thought about all the things that were holding me back from living my best life, my fullest life. Um, one of those really was insecurity. Um, it impacted my personal relationships. Um, it impacted how I viewed myself every time I went to take a shower. Mm -hmm. It just impacted my, my internal dialogue mm -hmm. well, to myself every day. Um, and so I just got sick of it. Like I got sick of making excuses for myself and like why I shouldn't do it because I'm so used to taking care of others. I I didn't feel comfortable with doing this for myself. Um, so, you know, when you say like internal dialogue and like you seem to have a lot of insight in understanding your emotions. How do yeah. you, how did you get that? I think experience and wanting to understand um, from the time that I was a child, even until now, I've always been the why the why person, you know, why is this like this? Why am I like this? Why are they doing that? Um, and so even for the, the way that I act and the things that I do, I'm always like, why do I think that way? Why am I, why do I feel this way? Um, and I really examine it. I don't just passively think about it. I really try to understand and get to the root of something. And, and when you were thinking about your insecurities, do you mind sharing what were those? Um, so I have two little boys. Um, surprisingly, when I got pregnant with my first boy, I was a one. So going through nine months of pregnancy, um, I really got stretched uh, beyond mm -hmm. my body's capacity at the mm -hmm. time. <laughs> um, my stomach turned black and it was very itchy. Mm -hmm. um, and so after I delivered him, I had a lot of saggy, very loose skin. Um, like if I kneeled forward, sorry, if I kneeled forward, mm -hmm. um, the skin would kind of droop like I was like I had a bag or something in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, and I just would try to hide it under shirts or, you know, I would wear really tight spaghetti straps to try to keep it compressed. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I had my second baby, I decided I didn't want to have any more children um, after that. Um, but I still had the skin. And I just would try to make excuses and, you know, I'll just wear my pants higher or mm -hmm. I'll just wear my shirt. You know, I won't wear bikinis or I won't, I won't wear bathing suits at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'll just have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was the, 
the biggest insecurity. And then I also didn't like um, my butt. Mm -hmm. I had very deep hip dips on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, I still have cellulite. That's just my body. I've accepted that. But what I didn't like was the hip dips and that my butt, it seemed like rounder at certain parts Mm -hmm. and like kind of flat at other parts. It was a very interesting but at the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And when you started thinking about surgery, how did you start looking for providers? Um, so I was looking in Portland. And, and you I, lived there, correct? Yes. So you came out of state for me. I did. Okay. Um, so I was looking in Portland and some doctors, their tummy tucks just weren't up to my if i'm going to pay the money mm-hmm. like i want it to be exactly how i want it mm-hmm. um some of the tummy tucks just were not something that i would feel comfortable with wearing mm-hmm. uh it, it, being naked being seen with it i didn't feel like it was worth the price to to be still insecure about my stomach mm-hmm. um and then if they did do a good tummy tuck they didn't do a bbl or they couldn't do a bbl that was up to my standards coming from the lens of someone who lived in Houston. Mm-hmm, I expected mm-hmm. it to look a certain way. Yes. You got one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I could never find the combination of the two um, until I looked for you and I saw you and I was like, oh, wow, this is, I think this guy, like, I think mm-hmm. he's the one, like, I think he can do it, uh, but he's in Seattle. And so I had to have a conversation with mm-hmm. my family about coming. And how did you run across my name? I was just Googling. I really, mm. I don't think there was anything specific that led me to you. I can't think of anything specific other than me looking for plastic surgeons. And I started look, I started broadening my search from just Oregon to Washington. Mm. And yours came up as like the best, the best doctor in Seattle or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so then I was like, okay, so let me see what is what the pictures look like. Let me see what mm-hmm. his work looks like. And then I started looking at your Instagram, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this looks really good. Yeah. <laughs> so you told your family you were thinking of going out of state. What did they say? My mom didn't say anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. She kind of just was like, oh, you know, and she had that kind of wide-eyed sort mm-hmm. of look. Um, and then I told my boyfriend also, I was like, I think I want to do my surgery in Washington. Um, and he was like, are you sure? Like, are you sure this is the one? I'm like, yeah, I think I think this is really what I want to do. Um, and so then they were supportive after they saw how serious I was. Mm-hmm. But at first it was kind of surprising because it would be a drive and they didn't know how it was going to be being in pain, you know, and driving mm-hmm. back and forth. Did anybody tell you don't do it that, you know, you shouldn't do this kind of work? No, actually, none of them discouraged me. Um, all of them, all of the people that I told were supportive of me. Um, and I think the reason being was that I pushed it off for so long mm-hmm. and they knew that I was really unhappy with it, but I never tried to pursue doing something about it. I think, to be honest, I think they were secretly fed up with me being sad about it mm-hmm. and wanted me to do something. Sure. Yeah. What do you think your dad would have said? He would have wanted me to do it. Mm-hmm. He he actually was sad that when he was living, he didn't have the money at the time for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would have wanted me to do it because he tried to make it happen before, mm-hmm. uh, but it just didn't just didn't happen. He was the only person that I would really 
talk to privately about it. Like, Dad, I, I just mm. wish I could do something. Yeah. Were you closer to your mom or your dad? Oh, that's tough because they're different. Mm-hmm. So my dad, I would say my dad because I'm more like him. Mm. The way that I think, the way that I engage with other people, it's always kind of, I would say it's more like him. But I do have aspects of me that are aligned with my mother as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you booked the consulate, right? Mm-hmm. That was pretty straightforward to do. Yes. And when you came from the consult, how was you, uh, how did it go? I think it went really well. Um, I was really informed afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really happy with um, the price and everything that I was given. Um, was, and it I, more, was it more or less than what you saw in Portland? So for me to have all of the things that I had done, it was slightly less. Hmm. Um, I would have only been able to get the PBL and the tummy tuck, but the lipo, it would have just maybe been like my stomach, but mm. it wouldn't have been 360. And I still wouldn't have had the look that I wanted to have after the surgery. Um, and it still would have been more. And so it was like, you know, I don't really like that. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And two surgeries instead of one. Right. Yeah. They wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I don't know anybody in the, in between here and Wa- in Oregon that does this in one surgery, tummy tuck. PBL. Yeah, I didn't. From my research, I wasn't able to find it. It was always presented as two surgeries. Um, and working and being a mother, that was concerning because I'm going to have to take time off twice. Mm. Um, I didn't like that either. Um, but it was something that I was considering because I wanted it really badly at the time. But I'm glad I didn't have to go that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And w- when people have their consult, um, we go through the anatomy. I'll typically draw what I'm going mm-hmm. to do. We'll identify what areas you want to change. Mm-hmm. And then you get your quote. And after that, you have the option of either booking right away or going home and thinking about it or doing whatever you want. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to book? So I called my mother. I didn't leave. I called her mm-hmm. um, when I was in the lobby and I let her know the avail- the availability you had to do mm-hmm. the surgery. And I asked her, you know, how do you feel about this? Because she would be helping me with my boys and with taking care of me. And I was asking her, how do you feel about this? Does this work for you? And she was like, yeah, like, let's do it. And so I booked this the same day mm-hmm. when I was here. I didn't mm-hmm. want to leave because I wanted I wanted that spot. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you went home, you must have been excited. I was. And so it's so funny because I, when I went home, I still had some of the drawing on me, like some of the markups where you did. Mm-hmm. And so I would stand in the mirror because this is when I still had a lot of the um, the extra skin. Mm-hmm. And I would stand in the mirror and I would like pull the two areas together to see what I would look like. And I was so excited to see oh, cool. how different I would look after surgery. So yeah, it was really nice. And, you know, I don't think many people draw their excision. I always draw yeah. it at the consult. Yeah. Did you have consults before me? I did. And did any of them mark for you what they were going to do? No, he just kind of like did like an airline with his finger. And okay. he kind of told me what he was going to do. And another one of them, kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. One of them, I didn't even actually get to meet the doctor. I just kind of met the doctor's assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was kind of off-putting yeah. for me at the time. I was like, I don't really know this guy. Exactly. Um. So, yeah. Did, did the markings help you understand better what we're going to do? Absolutely. And because, like I said, I had a lot of extra skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was able to be pulled and tugged by me. 
Um, so I was able to pull the areas together to see what my stomach would kind of look like with all of the extra skin gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that was really, really positive for me to to get an idea of how much you can do and how, you know, how little you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so that was really, really good for me to understand. Did you uh, do anything to prep for surgery day? I did. Um, so I made sure that I stopped taking certain medications. Mm-hmm. Um, I suffer from migraines. Mm-hmm. And so I take a lot of Excedrin migraine, which has like aspirin and, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of other things in it. I had to stop taking that. And so in order to like make my migraines less, I stopped drinking caffeine. Mm. Um, I also stopped eating so much sodium in my foods to try to alleviate, try to alleviate some of the headaches. Um, and then I, I also um, tried to make sure that I was like, I was walking more. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure my my circulation and everything was really well. I probably went overboard, mm-hmm. but this was my first time ever having surgery or ever going under the knife. So mm-hmm. I wanted to try to do as much as I can uh, for myself to be as healthy as possible. Makes sense. Yeah. Did you ever wonder why this guy, you know, AKA me, is willing to do the surgery in one, but nobody else wants to do it in one surgery? I did. And I was like, I was scared, actually. I was like, either he's really good or this is going to go really, really bad. Like mm. that, I was like, I don't know, because everyone else is saying no, but he's saying yes, and I wanted a yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I don't know, either I'm making a really good choice for myself or I'm making a really, really bad choice. And so mm. I kind of... I kind of went at it with, I'm just going to give it to God. That's how I did. I'm just going to give it to God. It's going to be okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And and so what's the thought process, just to share it with you. So when you do a BBL, you need fat to transfer to the buttock. Yeah. Um, A lot. And to do that, you got to liposuction. So most doctors will not liposuction the stomach when they're doing a tummy tuck. So they'll let that upper skin stay pretty thick. They'll just take a cautery or the hot, or the hot knife mm. and cut, lift the skin up, pull it down, stitch the muscles, mm-hmm. and then call it a day. And then they'll let you heal, and then they'll come back and lipo and do the BBL. Oh. Or the other way they'll do it is they'll lipo everything first, leave you with more sagging skin, uh, do the BBL, let that heal, come back in three months-ish, and then do the tummy tuck. Oh, I see. So, and the reason they do that is this. There's a... Old school, what I call old school philosophy, that if you liposuction the stomach and do a tummy tuck at the same time, the skin when skin will die and they'll get skin death and necrosis. Hmm. And that's I believe that's the wrong philosophy. The there's newer literature, newer data, right? And I went in Colombia and trained with a lot of the guys who believe this after my US training. All my training was in the U.S., but I went after to do more learning. And that's where they really pioneer a lot of procedures because they can push the envelopes mm-hmm. there for various reasons I won't get into. Um, and those guys there were doing liposuction with the B- tummy tuck and BBL. And I was like, how are you guys able to do this? Everyone here in the U.S. says, if you do that, the skin's going to die. and It's going to be a nightmare. They're like, I just did it. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, stop. No, yeah. There's no skin death. So there are, what I learned is there is a way to do it. Yeah. Now, when you liposuction the same time, and I'll give my secrets away to all the plastics guys who listen to my <laughs> stuff, but when you liposuction with the tummy tuck, 
you have to lipo, you can lipo the whole stomach. I'll say it now, my patients in front of me, for those who don't believe me, is you have to lipo in a specific way with specific tubes in a specific pressure at a specific plane. Mm. So when you're liposuctioning, if you care to know, there's a pressure on how much negative vacuum is sucking the fat out. Mm. And if you have that very high, like normal liposuction mm -hmm. speed, and you lipo the stomach, it's gonna die, guaranteed. Mm. Don't ask me how I know. So <laughs> basically, you have to keep that pressure about half of normal. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a very long and arduous process, mm -hmm. especially if you're a little bit older and not as strong. And I mean, you got you to gotta move your hand four times more to get the same amount of fat because, you know, it's a tube you're going mm -hmm. back and forth with. So that's one thing. So you got to keep low pressure. The other thing is when you liposuction, there's different layers of the tissue mm -hmm. so you can get those layers but you got to start at a particular layer and then do it yeah. and then how you raise the skin right. is very particular and how you transfer the fat so mm -hmm. learning all those things from the people who did it in columbia and other in reading and studying myself and then doing it myself helped me develop a way to do it yeah so like so like now every week i'll do two to three tummy tuck bbls yeah like minimum it's really over the past three months it's blown up i'm shocked Oh, wow, that's yeah. amazing. Literally. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason for that is P I, I stream it live. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you know, you don't have to believe me. I'm not here to convince anyone. Right. right? Just watch it live and then you decide. And patients are still coming back, right? Right. <laughs> There's no... That's so true. Exactly. And so that's how I do it. And, and I've actually, my, my techniques always keep evolving. There's a newer evolution I'm working on. But um, so that's how you can do it. So yeah. the other guys feel... That skin will die. And I, they're not wrong. If you do it the old school way, the skin will die. But if you do it in a more sophisticated, safer way, you can get the same thing done. It just takes a little bit more time and a little bit more effort. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes absolute sense to me. And I think one of the reasons you see evolution so slow in U.S. plastic surgery is the people who train, like the people who train me, they're all very old school. And, and you, you probably saw this in your consults, yeah. right? Yeah. The most famous people are the old school people. And the new people coming out just keep saying what those guys kept saying. Right. Right. They don't want to try anything new. Right. And the few new people in the country, there's probably five or six of them. And I, I put myself in the category who are bigger names mm -hmm. are the people who are willing to safely learn and push the envelope yeah. in the right patient. Right. Right. Like, for example, if I did the surgery that I did for you in somebody who was over 50, diabetic smoker, yeah. it would be a disaster. Right. Like I wouldn't even offer it to them, right? right. So you got to know who you can do what on and how you can do it. Right. And that's the only way you can get out of the cycle of just people being stuck in a rut. Yeah. And what happens is the old school guys, and there's nothing wrong with them, right? Who just keep repeating the same mm -hmm. song and dance, they end up getting pushed up by new people like me. Mm -hmm. Right, then they wonder and get jelly. <laughs> that's so true. But I'm really grateful that you were willing to try it with me. I'm very pleased. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And the one thing I share with you is it's something that I learned from other people. So I didn't right. come and start experimenting on my patients. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Absolutely. I, yeah. I actually, went, when I was in Columbia, I actually did surgeries there. Oh, that's cool. So, so yeah. So that's how I, how I learned some of the newer things. That's really um, cool. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. I loved it. Um, and so, so from that, you decided to book mm -hmm. and then you prepped with the things you told us mm -hmm. and then surgery day came. How were you feeling? So scared. So, so scared. 
I've never gone under anesthesia before. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, you know, what is this going to feel like? Am I going to know what's going on? You know, I should not have been watching National Geographic and mm. all of those discovery shows. But I was doing that and Wikipedia was not my friend, but I was still <laughs> mm -hmm. I was still looking. Um, and so I was really, really nervous. Um, but it went really well. Uh, yeah. Best you, sleep of my life. <laughs> and uh, after surgery, did you stay local or did you go home? I stayed. For how long? Um, we stayed for three or four days mm -hmm. because my, I think my surgery was on a Friday. Mm -hmm. So your post-op was Monday. Yeah. yeah. So we stayed that whole time. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, um, and then you came for the post. How was the pain? So the pain during the post-op, it wasn't really bad. I was I had medication so mm. I was I was comfortable. I just had to be careful in how I moved and mm. in what I did. Um the most difficult thing was because the hotel's bed was high. So mm. the most difficult thing was when you, you don't realize it but when you're going from like a a laying position to standing there can be some pulling. Um so I had to be really careful and really use my partner and the walker um to get out of bed to go to the restroom. Mm. Yeah. I see. And when you came for your first post-op, you saw things. How did it feel? Um, to be honest, that time was a little spacey yeah, for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember feeling anything other than I remember I, I still had um, like some the binding mm -hmm. was still there. I remember that. Um, I don't remember feeling any pain or anything. I know my stomach was tighter. Mm -hmm. it, it had to be tighter from just having a tummy tuck. Um, but there wasn't any like sharp pains or any anything like that. I was just really sore, just like mm. really, really kind of sore. But the pain medication was really helping mm -hmm. to deal with that. Yeah. And after that, you went home to Portland. Yes, I did. And I went later that day, I believe. Yeah. And your sister must have been excited to see you. Yeah, she was. What, uh, what, what were people asking you when you were recovering? No one asked me anything because nobody saw me. I just mm -hmm. stayed in the house. Mm -hmm. uh, my boys, they knew that mommy had just had surgery, but I was still in the house. No, none of my neighbors were seeing me or any, nobody because I was still in my, my period of taking time off from things. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just really staying inside. Yeah. As the recovery kept going, what was tough about the recovery? So the part that was really tough was that I did not know um, that. I didn't like staying in the house so much and that mm -hmm. I I didn't like not being able to do a lot of things for myself in the beginning. I didn't know that that was going to kind of weigh on me emotionally. And I also didn't know that I at one point was having a response to taking my pain medication. But you are the one who actually picked up on that before I even knew what was wrong with me. So that was at your one month post-op. Yeah. yeah. I remember you came to clinic. And um, you seem you you just seem down, yeah. Right, and I asked you, I'm like, because I really try to be in, in in tune with my patients, right? Yeah. The ones I do surgery for you, we're, we're you know we're friends until mm -hmm. you're fully healed, usually mm -hmm. for life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, parents, I think I asked you, right, mm -hmm. point blank, why are you sad? Or, yeah, you're like, what's wrong? Yeah, you seem down. What's yeah. going on? I was like, no, I'm fine. And then I called like later on, like I am really sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and, yeah. and what did you feel was causing? What did it, what did we arrive to that was causing the sadness? My pain medication. I I was not used to. So by this point, my system was really clean. Right, I stopped mm -hmm. taking caffeine. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't do anything. 
Um, so the pain medication, I was having a response to it that mm. was making me feel kind of down. Um, so we decided to stop doing the prescription and to just go with the Tylenol at mm-hmm. that point. Um, and that was totally fine. That was the, the absolute right, right choice for me. And then you, you started feeling better. Yeah, I started feeling like myself again. I I didn't know that I was down in the dumps because of my pain medicine. I started mm. to you know feel really weird. Like, I don't know. It was a really, really weird way of feeling. I can't really describe it. But it's interesting that you knew something was wrong with me before mm-hmm. I knew. But I couldn't see it because I was in it. If yeah, that makes sense. That's really that's really that's the best way to say it. I've ever yeah. heard. Um you said you it felt different not being able to do things for yourself and that weighed on you. How did it weigh on you? So I'm really independent. I mm-hmm. don't like asking people for things. Um, even if you look at how long I waited to do the surgery, I don't really like uh doing having others do things for me or like taking away money from my family or things like that to do something for myself. Mm-hmm. Um so it was weird having to call my mom and be like, hey, mom, could you get me some more water? But I just mm. don't want to have to do the work of getting up right now. Or I ran out of my, um, my nausea medicine. Could you run to the pharmacy and get it for me? That was challenging for me. Mm, I see. Yeah. And how have things gone now? How do you feel? I feel fantastic. Um, I'm really so happy with my body. I'm really I, I don't have that negative self-talk anymore. That's really powerful and really special. Um, I'm really comfortable with how I look in clothing. Um, it's kind of guided my decisions and, and how I eat and how I live now because I don't want to mess up the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I feel really, really great. My headspace is really, really good. That's awesome. Yeah. And you started at a size um, one before any of your pregnancies. Yeah. And then do you mind sharing with us how high your, or what your size was at yeah. in the middle of before surgery? Yeah. So before surgery, I was an eight. I yeah. think I was an eight. Yeah. And what are you now? So right now I'm a four. Yeah. That's so awesome. I've, I've lost quite a bit of weight since surgery, not because of you or anything, but just life, like the lifestyle changes I've made. Mm-hmm. Also, surgery played into it, too. Mm-hmm. But I've it's impacted me mentally and what I awesome. want to do. Yeah. yeah. If, if other women are thinking about this and wondering, um, should I do this? What would you tell them? Do it. Do it. It's like, it will be so good for you. If you're mentally struggling with your body and like how you feel about yourself you have no idea how much that plays into your life and if you make this choice it's just going to move you in such a positive direction you're the only you that you have and so why not make your life a little bit better i think it's a i think it's a wonderful choice i yeah. agree everything you say is so so deep and so much meaning oh yeah thanks. i really like it um if you could go and when you look at your story and if you could do something differently or if there's something that you wish you would have known before doing all this, what would that be? I should do it sooner. I'm not being selfish and taking care of myself. Um, and that it's okay to not have like perfect celebrity body or like perfect celebrity skin. That's just not my journey. That's not my path. Um, but I can have the best version of myself. Um, I just need to do a little bit of work to get there. That's amazing. You know, yeah. the one thing I would tell you, Paris, is none of those people have anything perfect. Right. Come, a lot of them come to me and I can tell you 
that um you you know to be frank frank with you you look better than 95% of them oh, but be, but beyond that um everything the pictures and everything you see is photoshop and airbrushing yeah. you got to yeah. remember that yeah like for example Kylie Jenner never shows her belly button <laughs> i'm not kidding and if <laughs> That's you, and, true. and if it ever shows they always have it blurred that's so interesting. And I'm not going to say why, because I know the person who did something. <laughs> so we'll leave, we'll leave that out of it. I have a nice belly button. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being our guest today, Paris. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, it. My pleasure. I've learned a lot. I know your ordeal will teach our listeners how and what to expect as they start their own cosmetic surgery journey. I appreciate your time and I'm honored to have you as my good patient, confident, and I would say friend. Oh, thank you, Dr. Sajjan. I'm glad I had you and I'm glad I got to meet you and go on this journey with you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, the one thing I would share with people is if you don't, if you're in the in the process of getting something medical done and you want something, don't settle for an answer because it's convenient, right? I, I, I'm not saying that I, you know, I do like to think I'm the best out there, but I, what, I am, what I am saying is if you want something, whether it's a treatment for an illness or something aesthetic or very elective search out there till you make sure you know the answer that you want um is i would say search out there until you know you have an answer for the question that you're seeking mm-hmm. sometimes the answer might not be what you like but do you know don't settle because people end up unhappy when they settle right. like sometimes i'll have patients who want me to do procedures for them that i know that is not my cup of tea right like when i first started i was doing everything now I can tell you most of my work is all body work, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll have patients that will come for, you know, asking for extreme facial work. And I do, I still do facial plastic surgery, but I don't do as much. And I'll often refer them out. And I don't mind doing that. But sometimes a doctor who's willing to, quote, make it work isn't the best choice for people. Right. 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 That's so true. Thanks for listening to the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to hear more great content. For my live surgeries on Snapchat and my adventures throughout the week, catch us on all social media at Real Doctor Seattle. Damn, what? Well.